I'd like to pray together just as we begin this morning. You want to bow your heads? Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you are a good God, that we can lean on the everlasting arms no matter what. And whether our life right now is full of joy or full of sorrow, there is coming a day when all of that will be gone and we will be home with you. Father, thank you for this opportunity to share. And I pray that our story would inspire hope in the situations of our life that may seem hopeless, that we would see and be reminded about what a personal God you are, such a God of love. And God, I pray that as we leave today that we would just be encouraged to trust you all more, because you are good. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. When Zach and I got married in 2007, we were young and in love, and we had nothing on our mind as far as beginning a family. We actually worked quite diligently to make sure that that didn't happen, but we were in the midst of going to school. We had more school to finish. We'd actually just accepted a call to lead the youth evangelism team, and that was going to entail us buying a motorhome and living on the road for a couple of years while we traveled through different churches and schools throughout our conference. And when we got married, we lived at QC for a couple of years, but we were soon on the road. We were busy, we were excited, we worked with a whole team of people working with young people. And in 2012, our life changed a little bit because we moved to Michigan. And we'd never lived um, on the East Coast. I hadn't, Zach had, I hadn't. But we were apart from our family, we were attending school, and we actually loved our time there. It was a great time. But 2012, we were about done with our degrees, we were both about to graduate, and it just felt like it was time. It was time maybe to start a family. We were done with school, um, we were going to be moving back to California, we weren't going to be traveling any longer, and we would be settled in our first church. So it just kind of seemed like the timing was perfect. And so that first month, we looked forward with anticipation to a positive result. And we didn't have one. We thought, okay, it's all right, we'll try again. And the next month, sure enough, we try, try, try again, and nothing. And we thought, well, that's okay. We know that for most healthy couples our age, it might take three to six months. It's not a big deal. We'll keep trying, and month after month, we would be disappointed again. But it was okay because we were moving back to California, we were busy getting settled into a new church, we were meeting new friends, we were getting involved in ministry. But once all that got settled down again, we pursued our dream. And again to no avail. And we began to wonder, what's going on? It shouldn't be that difficult. And so we continued to try. And we would pray. We would pray a lot that God would give us a baby. He had done it for so many other people in the Bible and so many people around us. And we had heard testimonies of God's goodness. And so we would pray, God, give us a baby. And early on in this journey, I was having my worship one morning. And I actually came across a verse that I had not noticed before. I had obviously read this verse before because I would read the Psalms many times. But it was Psalm chapter 113 and verse 9. And the verse said, He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. And I thought, wow, I've never read that verse before, but we've been praying so much that God would bless us with a baby that that felt like the first little promise that I could tuck away that he would do it, that someday he would do it. So I would claim that promise. God, you promised 
to make me a joyful mother of children. Well, in March of 2015, God miraculously worked it out that we got to move to Templeton. And in the beginning, as I said before, we didn't want to come because we loved our work and we loved the people. But we were here maybe two weeks, and I told Zach, I hope we never have to go anywhere else. I'd fallen in love, and I still feel that way. I hope we can stay here forever. But as we got, again, settled in here and started to get to know everybody and settled into our work, again, that desire was in our heart to have a baby, to start a family. And right before we had moved, I'd actually seen a local doctor and said, I think we might need some help. We've been trying for two years, and nothing seems to be happening. She did a quick course of blood work. She said, everything looks fine. I don't think you have any problems. I said, I think we do. I think I might need help. And so she said, okay, I'll prescribe a medicine that you can take six months. It works for 80% of the people, and everything should be fine. And so I thought, well, of course, we'll be in the 80%. We were healthy and strong, and I didn't see any reason why we wouldn't be part of that 80%. So we took it the first month, so excited. And you know what it's like when you're waiting for something? It seems to take forever. So those two weeks of waiting felt like months. But the end of the month came, and still no positive result. We thought, it's okay. She said six months, so I would take it to next month. We'd wait anxiously, hoping, praying, waiting. And still nothing. And I did it the third month, the fourth month, and I remember the sixth month. I knew God was going to do it. Because it was kind of the last chance. It was the sixth month. All people, almost 80% of people at work for, so I took it. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited. And I'll still, I haven't forgotten this day yet. I was in Texas. I was actually with my in-laws. We were at the GC session. I was there helping them. And that morning came when no positive results. And it felt like, what is going on? What is God doing? We've prayed so hard. I'm trying to do everything possible that we can do. And still nothing. It felt like my hopes were being dashed all over again. And up until this point, we hadn't really shared this story with a lot of people. We hadn't shared our desire to have a baby with a lot of people. Um, but we had with our family. And our family was praying for us all the time. And it was around the time when we first moved here, actually, that God gave me an amazing prayer partner. And we would meet together every single week to pray, and to pray for her family, and my family, and our work, and our desire to have a baby. And that morning, when I found out that the six months had come and gone, the medicine had been taken, but didn't work, I sent a text just letting her know, just so you know, it didn't work. Pray for me today, I'm having a hard day. And the text that she wrote back was something that I would read over and over. Just the comfort that it brought and the what it opened my eyes to. This is what she wrote. She said, it's okay to mourn. I'm sure your faith is strong, and yet life can be filled with loss, disappointment, and pain. Jesus, thankfully, has experienced these too and hurts with you. I love you very much and wish I could be there for you right now. And I read that text over and over and over because it was such a reminder to me that it was okay to feel the way I was feeling. It was okay to feel sad. It was okay to feel disappointed. My faith wasn't lacking. I was still holding on to God, but I could still feel sad and that Jesus hurt with me. I'm sure that you found that when you're going through situations that God has a way of speaking to you just in the way that you need it. And as I said, I was at the general conference session. I was helping my mother-in-law set up a prayer seminar each day that she held. And it would be a different speaker, different topic every day. Well, that particular day, we go and set up. And I didn't even stay for him every day throughout the whole week. But that day I did. 
And of course, the topic would be what to do when your prayers feel like they're not answered. What to do when you feel disappointed with God. And I sat there just listening to each word from the speaker, and it just seemed like he was speaking exactly to me. And I found that God will do that over and over. You know, he'll get you to read just the right thing, or he'll get you to hear just the right speaker, just the right message when you need it. It's not significant to anybody else, but it feels like for you right then, it's God speaking to you. I came home from Texas and headed to camp meeting. I think we had maybe two days in between. And it was at camp meeting that I started to wonder, maybe we should be anointed for this. Maybe we should ask special prayer. We should ask people to come around us and, and pray that God would bring healing. You know, James chapter 5 says that when you're struggling and when you're sick, you should call and ask for people to pray for you that God would be able to heal. And so we wanted to do that, but it just felt uncomfortable. This was something that was so personal. It felt awkward to talk about it. And I asked after he thought, and he said, maybe not here. Camp meeting is so public, and maybe, maybe we could do it when we get home. And so we planned a service for here, just with a couple elders here from our church, to come over to our house and to pray. And that night was so precious. We just shared our heart. We said, we've, we've prayed for a long time. We've tried for a long time. We really want to have a baby. And we were just circled with prayers and with love. It was a most beautiful, beautiful time. I'll never forget that night. I wrote about it in my journal in great detail just because it was so sweet. And um, very precious to hear all of those prayers. But... We continued to pray, and we continued to try, and the night before that, or the week before the anointing, I spent a lot of time just trying to prepare my heart, trying to read anything I could. I read the chapter in Ministry of Healing about praying for the sick multiple times, and I was trying to follow any counsel I could in there. But that morning of the anointing, I pulled out my Bible reading plan, and it was for Psalm 86 that day. So I started to read the chapter. But I got distracted or something came up and I never finished it. So I just set it aside. And all throughout the day, I was praying that God would prepare our heart. I was sending text messages to our friends and family, asking them to pray for that night. And about five o'clock, I thought, I need to finish Psalm 86. I never had finished it. I was sitting there reading again about anointing and praying for God to work that night, praying that my heart would be ready. But I picked up Psalm 86 and I started to read. And it felt like the verses were so pertinent for our situation. It said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. That's what I've been doing. I've been praying all day long. Bring joy to your servants. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on you. It just reminded me, God was a God of love. He wanted to hear us as we called. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I'm in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you. Lord, no deeds can compare with yours. It just reminded me, God was able to do anything. Yes, we had tried all this stuff, and we had tried these medicines, and we had tried on our own, but God was a powerful God. He could do anything for your great. You do wondrous things. You alone are God. You, O Lord, are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Give me a sign of your goodness. It just seemed like the whole chapter was so powerful. I just started praying all of those verses that God would have mercy, that God would hear us when we called, 
And I had so much faith and hope in that night. I knew God was going to answer. But as I got to this last verse, give me a sign of your goodness, I thought, God, that would be so awesome. Could you just give me some kind of sign that you're going to do this? Some, you know, I, I know we shouldn't always pray for signs, but if there could just be some little something that you can do, a sign of your goodness, a sign that you're hearing. And I could barely get that prayer out, and I was laying on the floor in our office, just had my Bible there and everything laid out on the floor, and I just happened to look up, and I saw this little canvas plaque that was on the wall, and it said Hannah on it. And I had had a whole wall of little canvas plaques that kids had made me when we left Modesto that I had worked with. Each of them had written their name and decorated these little plaques, and they sent it home with me as a farewell gift. And so I put it on the wall and sent them a picture as soon as we moved here that I hadn't forgotten them and that I remembered them in our office. But that moment, when I had looked up, I just prayed, give me some sign of your goodness. All I saw was that little purple one in the corner that said, Hannah. And maybe that wouldn't seem significant at all, but earlier that day when I sent those text messages out and I said, please pray for us tonight, we're going to be having an anointing, we're going to ask people to pray for us, that God would bring healing and bless us with the baby, two different friends independently had written back saying, we'll be definitely joining you in prayer tonight and we'll be claiming the story of Hannah. If you know the story of Hannah in the Bible, she and her husband also didn't have a child. They prayed to God. God blessed them with little Samuel, who they raised up to serve God. And so that was the third time that day. And it just seemed like this is not a coincidence that I was just having to glance up. I would see that one little one after multiple people had texted me that they were praying, specifically the story of Hannah. I had so much hope that God was going to answer, and after the anointing especially, all the prayers that we heard that night, and just the love and support, it renewed my faith, and it renewed my strength, and God just seemed to keep surrounding us with people who had either been through this journey before, or who had walked closely with someone who had, and it renewed my faith that God was going to do it. God had done it for this family. God had done it for that family. God could do it for us too. We finally decided that we should probably see a specialist because it had been a long time and not making much progress. And we found a doctor in Santa Barbara that we thought would probably be a good option. And the very first day that we were in his office, I was just feeling so nervous. I didn't know what to expect. It was the first visit. It, again, still felt embarrassing and awkward. And we were sitting in the waiting room waiting to be called. And... I decided, like, maybe I should just read the Bible on my phone. Maybe it'll help me not be as nervous. And so I pulled out my phone, and I just pulled it open to the reading plan for that day. If you don't know where to read, I can't encourage you enough. Just find a Bible reading plan. It tells you what to read for the day. And many plans will read you through the whole Bible in a year. But I pulled it out for that day, and it was Luke chapter 1. So I'm sitting here in the waiting room feeling nervous, and I just started to read. And verse 14 caught me in a way that it hadn't before. Here we were, sitting in the office of the fertility specialist, and it says, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. I thought, oh wow. Yes, I know the context of that. You know, when I was in school, especially taking some of the theology classes, they would tell you, don't read you know, too much into the Bible just for you, but just focus on the context and the original language. So I knew that this is the angel talking to Zechariah. But in that moment, sitting there, that was not a coincidence. I tucked that away in my heart, that God was making us a promise that we would have joy and we would have gladness and many 
would rejoice at their birth. This kept happening over and over, different warnings. It would be especially heavy on my heart. I'd be praying for it so much. God would show me some verse or some promise that I could hold on to. I remember one day in particular, I was just feeling really burdened. I was crying and praying, God, why don't you answer? And that particular morning, I happened to read the devotional from the uh, Revival and Reformation, which I hadn't been reading every day. But that particular day was on Psalm 127. And if you know the verses in Psalm 127, it's so powerful. It says, children are a gift of the Lord. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. I thought, wow, just the day that I would read this, just the day that I was feeling heavy. It wasn't like I'd been reading it every day. So I kept reading. And again, Psalm 128, verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Just little things like that. It wasn't like I was going to find these promises, but it was like God was bringing them to me. And so each one I would write down in my journal. I put the date, I put the verse, and I would just tuck them away in my heart. It was like a little glimmer of hope each time God gave us one of those. Well, in August of 2017, Zach received a call from a pastor friend of his that said, I'm moving to Canada, but I'd like to get together with you and pray with you and your wife before I go. And Zach said, okay. He said, God told me to do this, and I'd like to meet with you. I have a very limited amount of time, but if you could meet me in Hanford, I'd like to pray with you guys before we move. So we didn't really know what to expect. It was actually the night, the day before VBS. So you know what a big production that is for our church and how much of that weighed on my shoulders. But we thought, this sounds important. God told him to do this. So we got in the car and we drove to Hanford. And we met him at Panera Bread, we got some food, we sat down, and on the way there, I had told Zach, I said, I don't even hardly know this guy. And so when he asked us what we want prayer for, maybe you could tell him. Because we had said that what we wanted prayer for was for our baby situation, but I felt like it was kind of uncomfortable. I don't even know him, and to open up about all this stuff. So Zach said, not a problem, I'll explain, I'll, I'll, I'll tell him all about it, and He had prayed with him on the phone many times about ministry things and other things, not about a baby. And so we get there, we sit down, we have our food, and he says, I am here to pray with you because before we move, I asked God what my mission was, what I needed to do. And he gave me the name of about 50 people that I needed to pray with before we move. And we're like, oh, wow. He said, I just went out under the stars late one night. He said, that's where I spend my time with God. And I started going through the contacts on my phone. And I said, God, you alert me to every single person that I need to write down. And when God would impress him, he would just write the names down. He said, your name was one of those people. So we told him, wow, we feel really honored that we would be part of that list. And he said, God told me I couldn't just call them, but I had to get together with them and pray for each one. So we were a little in awe of that. We thought, wow, this is really amazing. And I'm waiting for him to ask, what would you like prayer for? So Zach can explain. Well, instead, he starts saying, I pray a lot for Zach. I pray a lot for your ministry. I pray for him as a pastor. So what can I pray for you about? And he looks right at me. He's like totally zoning Zach out. It's just me and him. I thought, oh, no. So I started to explain, and I started to tell him that we've been trying for a long time to have a baby, that this was a a desire of our heart, that by this time we had tried lots of different medicines and different procedures and nothing seemed to be working. And he looked very shocked. He didn't say anything for a moment, and he said, wow. He said, you know, I went out again under the stars early this morning while it was still dark, 
And I told God, I said, you know, I'm being together with Zach and Leah today. What should I pray for them for? And he said, just read him the story of Hannah. And um, he knew nothing at that point. He had no idea what we were going through. And so we set Panera Bread at the table while he read us that story and prayed for us. And to say that we were in awe was an understatement. And to say that our faith was encouraged was an understatement because as we drove home, we didn't say much except for, wow, that had to be God. That had to be God to put us on his heart to wake him up, to tell him that, when that story had already meant so much to us two years before. And you know, sometimes we pray about something and we feel like God gives us encouragement. We expect the answer like right now. That was two years later, even after God had given us so much encouragement through that anointing and through that story that he would do. (coughs) The following morning, I think we were still a little shell-shocked that God had worked all that out and that he would be so gracious to let that happen to us. And I opened up my Bible to have my worship that morning, and literally the first verse that my eyes fell upon, the very first verse, I was not looking for this, but it was Isaiah 38, 15, and it said, what can I say? He has spoken to me, and he himself has done this. I knew that the experience that we had had the day before was from God. There was just no accident about it. It said, I will walk humbly all my years because of the anguish of my soul. And again, I just noted it in my journal. I wrote it down. I tucked it into my heart because I knew that God had done that. Again, just giving us a little bit of hope when it seemed so hopeless. But when was he going to do it? And how long was it going to take? We had already gone through three insemination processes. We had tried all kinds of medicine. We had hoped. We had prayed. We had got the people we knew praying. We had started telling more people by this point. And sometimes it seemed very discouraging. Sometimes it seemed like this was never going to happen. There would be days where I'd be super encouraged because God would do these things or show me these promises. And there would be days that it didn't seem like anything at all was happening. We ended up switching doctors. We ended up trying another procedure again. And then our doctor told us, your only option is probably to do IVF, to do in vitro. And... I was ready. I was ready years before. I said, let's do this. Sign me up. This is our last chance. The chance, the success rates are high. I'm ready. But Zach wasn't ready. And he kept encouraging us. we got to pray for the right timing. I know. we got to pray. we got to see if this is really God's plan for us. I know. But every time he'd say that, even though I knew he was right, I didn't want to. Because what if God said no? What if God's plan wasn't this and we had no other options? And so it was a struggle, and it felt like it took a long time for us to be on the same page. And my prayer partner would tell me so often, I just want you to be on the same page. You have to be on the same page together. You don't want any regrets later. You don't want any tension in your relationship later. And so it took a long time. We would pray. We would not be sure. We would try things. We would not be sure. Zach was praying that God would show us the right timing. And it was actually during 10 days of prayer last year that... um, we came to a point that we had to decide. We were kind of out of options. So were we going to do IVF the next cycle or were we not? And the doctor had agreed that it was our best option. And so there was no reason why we shouldn't. Except we just needed God to give us the go ahead. And I don't know about you, but if you're at a crossroads in your life trying to know what to do. 
I can't encourage you enough to wait until God makes it really clear. Because this was such a huge step for us. This was starting a family. This was extremely costly. This was so much intervention where we played God. I mean, we wrestled back and forth, back and forth. And we needed God to give us the go-ahead. And so during 10 days of prayer, um, I was pretty torn up because we had set aside two days to fast and to pray and to say, God, we need you to make this extremely clear. We do not want to go ahead of you. In my heart, I wanted to do it so bad. I was so ready. I was ready just to sign up and do it next week. But I knew that unless God told us to do it, we couldn't do it yet. And so we kept praying, and that first day, it was very hard because it seemed like God was telling us no. And I don't know if you've ever prayed about something that you want so bad, and you're sure God wants it too, and maybe not. And we wrestled back and forth. We were reading, we were praying. The things we were reading were not encouraging us to do it. It seemed like God was saying to wait. And it was a really, really hard day. I didn't know if God was saying no forever or no, God was just saying no for this cycle, but it seemed like he was saying no. And that night at 10 days of prayer, my prayer partner told me, I think you just need to give it up. I think you just need to surrender this completely. We've prayed for a long time. We've wrestled back and forth. You're ready to do it. Zach's not sure if God's telling you to do it yet. I think you just need to give it up. And I knew she was right, but that was the hardest thing to actually accept. And I said, I want to. I want to be surrendered to God's will. I, I want to just give up my own agenda and do what he wants us to do. But how do I even do that? When you want something so bad, how do you even fully give it up? And she said, it might take saying those words, I surrender. Many, many times a day. And so that night, through the tears, every time I would think about it, every time I would wrestle back and forth, I would just say those words, I surrender. I surrender. God, I just choose to give this up. I don't know what your plan is. I just surrender. And in the morning, I had to say it again. And throughout the day, I had to say it again. And I just had to keep saying it over and over, God, I surrender. You know my heart. You know what I want. You know what we want. But I surrender. And it was really, really difficult. That first day when we had been praying, we had kind of set aside the day. It was a Monday. Zach was off. And we said, we're just going to fast. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to show us very specifically what to do. The one thing that was clear was God showed me some verses in Psalm 81 that made it really clear that God's biggest priority for me, aside from having a baby, was that I would be 100% satisfied in him. That God would be enough. That I didn't need anything else in my life, including a baby, to make me satisfied. But God could be everything. And this was hard to swallow, but I knew God was right. Because I kept thinking, what if that means he's not going to do it, right? Have you ever had that feeling before? Maybe he's telling me that this is what I need because he's not going to come through. But God had shown me this other times in my life. God had to keep showing me that even if I didn't get to marry Zach, I could still be fully satisfied in him. Even if we didn't have a baby, I could be fully satisfied in him. Even if I didn't get that job or have these friends or do whatever, God would be enough. And that morning, I felt like that's what he was just saying over and over. Not a lot of clarity about what to do regarding IVF, but that he would be enough. We continued to pray and... At the end of those two days, we basically did not have peace to move forward. And so I had to make a call to the doctor's office and say, we have no good reason, but we want to wait. And they said, that's okay. Call us next month, and we'll see what we can do. And during this time, I texted a friend who I knew had also been through and 
quite a journey with infertility. And I just wrote and said, I don't know if you have any counsel for us. I don't know if you can give us any advice or um, just biblical convictions, anything right now. But this is where we're at. This is what we're going through. And we didn't know that they had actually been through IVF twice themselves and had no success. But she wrote back a very meaningful text that day. And in that text, she said, even though it didn't work for us and we're just where we started, when I look back, I don't regret it at all. I have so much peace knowing that we walked through every door that was open. And I thought, wow, it didn't work for them. But she has peace. And I thought, that's that's what I need. That's how I can surrender. That's how I can give it up. If we can just try everything but be surrendered to whatever God wants, I can I can do that. I can do that. And so we had decided that we would continue to pray throughout that whole next month if we should go forward. And at the end of that month, it wasn't there was like a lightning bolt from heaven that said, you should do this or you should not. But God just gave us peace about it. Um, the biggest thing for me was that God would give Zach peace about it. And during those days, he had been praying and asking God to specifically show him in the Bible something that would give us the go-ahead. And God continued just to give him promise after promise that we could do it. And so we went to the doctor. We did all the preliminary things, all the blood tests. God helped the immunization I needed to go through in the nick of time. Like, I had to get it that day, and I ended up being able to fit it in to get it that day. The genetic testing came back, and... Everything looked good for that. We got a discount on the medication. God provided money. I mean, it was just door after door started to open. And I was just kind of amazed, quietly, that we were actually at this point. We had waited for so long to be here. And it was like the doors were just starting to open. And we were so much on the same page. This was like amazing feeling that here we are together. We're marching through these doors step by step. God's providing every single thing we need. And... It was amazing. I mean, I remember being a little overwhelmed. One day the doorbell rang and I went and it was UPS and they were delivering the medications. And I opened the box and I started to unload them onto the counter. And I was like, oh wow, this is serious business. This is no joke. There were all the injections and the sharps box and all these oral meds and all this kind of stuff. And it was exciting at the same time. We were finally here. The chances were high. We had a calendar that dictated our life of what to do and where to go and what meds to take and when they had to go for an appointment or an ultrasound. And it was during this month, actually, that God gave me a really awesome promise in Deuteronomy. I was definitely feeling a little scared and a little overwhelmed by what you just saw in that picture. And... One morning in my worship, the verse was, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. He will be with you. He will not fail you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. I think that was referring to the shots. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you. And he will not forsake you. And again, I just tucked that promise away that God was with us. That we had sought his guidance so much and for so long and we were finally here. And we could be assured that he was not going to leave us now. Everything went really smoothly. I had a great uh, helper preparing my injections each night so that we could go through that process. The egg retrieval went really smoothly. We actually um, got way more than we anticipated. They had said maybe like 8 or 10 
And that day I was in recovery. I think we have a picture of that. When um, the doctor came in and said, well, we got 51. And I was a little out of it. So I thought, I looked at Jan and Zach and I said, 15? And they said, no, 51. I was like, oh, wow. Okay, 51. And I thought at this point everything is going to be smooth now. They retrieve the eggs. The transfer is like the easiest part. Everything should be easy from now. I barely made it out to the car, and I started to get very, very sick. I was so nauseous that I barely made it into the car. We didn't even make it halfway home from Santa Barbara when I started throwing up. I would have to constantly ask them to pull over the car, and they would help me be able to throw up out the side. I'll spare you more details. And... Um, <laughs> I ended up getting a fairly serious complication where I was in the most severe pain I'd ever been in my life. And I couldn't move without pain. My body was filling up with fluid. I couldn't lie flat. I had thrown up so much that I had I had to have IV fluids. And in those moments, you start to wonder, God, what are you doing? I thought we were finally there. All I wanted to do was just do something that had good chances. God blessed us with, you know, the ability to have retrieve so many eggs. It should be easy from here. And now I literally felt like I was dying. Those 10 days, I was in excruciating pain. I'd never been through something like that in my whole life. But 10 days later, I started to function again. Those were very long 10 days. Thankfully, my parents came down to be with me. My mother-in-law flew out from the East Coast. And... Um, those 10 days were very difficult, but at the end of them, it was the Sabbath morning, and I was still so worn out, I couldn't even come to church. But I grabbed my Bible, and I thought, I haven't even had worship in 10 days, because I felt just so exhausted. I've been in so much pain. I mean, I could barely even eat anything. I could barely move. But I picked up my Bible after those 10 days, and again, just kind of let it fall open. I didn't have a reading plan that morning. And the verse that it opened up to, I thought, oh, wow. How applicable is this? It says, you've restored me to health and let me live. Surely it was for my benefit that I have suffered such anguish. In your love, you have kept me from the pit of destruction. I thought, oh wow, God has not left, left us in this. Yes, this has been the hardest 10 days of my life, but it was for some benefit that I had suffered what I had. Zach was really my rock during this whole time. He did not leave my side. He stayed home to work as much as he could. He was preparing all my medication, taking care of me, sleeping on the floor with me when I couldn't even make it up the stairs. I eventually crawled up the stairs to be able to get to my bed. But God was reminding me that he was there and that this was for a purpose, that he had not left us, he had not forsaken us. And my heart was overwhelmed with who God was. I, um, I just, I was overwhelmed that here we were, we were at this point in our life and God was so gracious to us that even in the trials, he had surrounded us with so many people to love us and so many people, I mean, so many of you were bringing us food, you were checking on us at our house, you were sending flowers, you were praying for us and God was just reminding me that he was there and he was taking care of us even in the hard times. Well, although the transfer was supposed to happen three to five days later, I ended up having to wait seven weeks to do it so that my body could heal. And it took a while to get back to being at a point where they could transfer it safely. 
But that day was such an exciting day. Our parents were able to be there with us, and it was such an easy procedure compared to everything else. And um, we were actually at this point. They were transferring our little embryo back inside, and we, again, held on with hope. We were praying, we were waiting, we were hoping. And I flew to Maryland that next week, and I'll never forget the phone call. This was the little embryo that they transferred in. It's amazing what they can take pictures of. That little white dot is where they implanted it. Um, amazing. You can watch it all happen on the on the video. But anyway, I flew to Maryland, and I'll never forget. It was Friday. I had taken my blood test. They do it super early on so that you can know before it would show up on anything else if the transfer had taken and we waited, and we waited, and we waited all day. We had been to a lab that was extremely slow, and so every hour that passed, we were just waiting for a call. Well, it was almost Sabbath, and I got a call from the doctor saying, your numbers look great. Congratulations. Everything looks good. And to finally be at that point after so long was unbelievable. I don't even think I cried, but I was just so overjoyed that finally... It had taken. Finally, it was going to work. Finally, we would have a baby. And the next thing to pray for was that those numbers would double by Monday. So if you had numbers over 50, it was a positive. Mine was 64. And so I was texting our family and friends that it had taken, that everything looked great. But now just pray for Monday. Because if the numbers don't double by Monday, then we might be in trouble. And so I went in on Monday and again had to wait and wait and wait for the results. But when we got those numbers back, rather than doubling, they had gone up eight times. They had gone from 64 to 533. So I texted Linda at this point, who was praying for us and cheering us on, and her response back was, twins! And I said, oh no, not really, right? And she said, just kidding, it's probably very unlikely because you only implanted one, the embryo would have to split. Probably not likely. Congratulations, we're so happy for you. Well, in my six-week appointment, I went in to see if there was officially a heartbeat. Because even though the blood work looked great and everything looked positive, um, you just have to confirm. And Zach had been with me for every visit almost so far. But this time, he was in Israel, on the other side of the world. He was on a study tour with the pastors from our conference. And so I went to that visit on my own. And again, probably my blood pressure was extremely high because I was so nervous to see if they were going to find a heartbeat or not. And I was laying there on the table, and the physician's assistant was scanning me, and she said, well, I see a heartbeat. Congratulations! And the sigh that came out was quite loud, I'm sure. I was so relieved. I texted Zach and could call him. He was in Israel. He was so excited. I called all of our family on the way home from Santa Barbara. I stopped at Babies R Us because I thought, this is finally happening. <laughs> Their store is closing, and I see if I can find anything. And it was such a joyous day. But on the way home, I stopped at some friend's house to visit. And we had a great time. We were visiting. I got up to leave, and I thought, oh, no, something is wrong. Something is really wrong. I felt like I was bleeding. And I got to the car, and I wasn't just bleeding. I was soaked in blood. And I thought, oh, no. Oh, no, this can't be good. And it was after 5 o'clock. I wasn't sure, but our doctor had been so gracious to give us his cell phone number. So I called, and I said, 
I know I was just there this morning. I know we just heard the heartbeat this morning, but I think something is wrong. And he said, well, it might be, but it might not be. So just wait it out and see what happens. And I was terrified. And Zach was on the other side of the world. And um, my parents would come later that night. My mother-in-law would come later that week. But I texted Jan and said, please come. Um, I think something is really bad. And so that night there were a lot of tears, especially when I passed a really large clot. I thought we had lost the baby for sure. And that night, it's hard to explain that feeling, I guess, unless you've been there, unless you've experienced that kind of loss before. But after your hopes have been so increased and you've had so many confirmations and then to go through something like that, it's, it's hard. And we laid on my bed that night and just prayed and cried and talked and cried. And when I felt like there were just no more tears left, I said, let's listen to Ministry of Healing. And I turned on the chapter, chapter 40, because I knew there was a section in there that I probably needed that night. The section talks about trials. It talks about God's plan. And as... Um, Page 474 started to be read. I thought, this is what I need right now. It said, in the future life, the mysteries that here have annoyed us and disappointed us will be made plain. We shall see that our seemingly unanswered prayers and disappointed hopes have been among our greatest blessings. And for some reason that night, that just gave me a lot of peace. I didn't know what was going on. It didn't look good. But it was okay. Because even if it was bad, God had made a promise that those unanswered prayers and those disappointed hopes would somehow turn out to be some of our greatest blessings. And so, the next day, I called the doctor to give him an update. He said, I think everything's probably going to be fine. If it would give you more peace, you could go to a local doctor. They could do a quick scan, just check and see if there's still a heartbeat. So we did, and I cannot tell you how much joy there was when even on a very old, rickety ultrasound machine, you could still see the little flicker. You could still see it. There were so many happy tears in that office that day, and I found out that it was just a rare complication, a hemorrhage that can happen at times, and everything was still okay. And so we breathed a sigh of relief once again. But because I had had the hemorrhage, I was supposed to be on low activity and see the doctor again in a week. I went back in a week. They said, it still hasn't healed up. You need another week. And so that was hard for me. Thankfully, my parents, my sister invited us to her house so I could have some entertainment. Zach is still on the other side of the world. But I did my best to rest. And on that next visit, it was going to be um, a big day because, again, unfortunately, Zach couldn't go with me. He was already working at camp meeting. But we were going to finally be able to see more stuff. We were like at six, seven, eight weeks, something like that. And at that point, we could see a little more on the ultrasound. And we could check on this hemorrhage, see if I was getting better. Well, the good news was that the hemorrhage had healed up. And we were thankful for that. But then I saw something on the screen that puzzled me. I had not seen before. We had been through so many ultrasounds that although I'm no expert, I had somewhat of an understanding of what I was looking at. And I asked the girl that was scanning me, I said, what's that? She said, um, I don't know. And I said, I, I mean, that's the baby over here, but what's that? She said, I, uh, she kept scanning and 
The words she would say next would change my life forever when she said, I think it's a twin. I did not know what to say. I think my heart either stopped or fell out of my chest, one of those things. But she wasn't sure, so she said, let's call the doctor. Let's see if um, he, you know, give us a second opinion. He barely walked in the door when he saw the screen and said, wow, I think we have identical twins. I just about lost it. I was like, are you sure? He said, I'm pretty sure. Here, let me take over. And he sat down and he started to scan. He said, yeah, look at that, identical twins. And I only could say, are you sure? Are you sure? Again, I was by myself and he said, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Look at that. Here's one heartbeat and here's a second heartbeat. And he did the measurements and sent me home with this picture. So I called Zach and he was at camp meeting. You know about camp meeting has terrible service. I thought he's not going to answer. But actually, I wasn't going to tell him. I was going to drive to camp meeting that night and then tell him. I couldn't even make it five minutes down the road. And my heart was beating so fast. I thought I might not even make it to camp meeting. I should just tell him now. So I called him and I said, um, good news, I have two things to tell you. He said, okay. I said, one, the hemorrhage is cleared up, all good to go, no more bed rest. He said, oh, good. I said, um, we're also having identical twins. He said, are you serious? That's awesome. I said, well, I'm glad you're excited. Really? That's great. That's awesome. Oh, I'm so excited. I got to run. I'll see you tonight. So... I went through the rest of the list. We had so many family and friends praying for us. So I called my mom. She could barely speak. I went through the rest of the list of um, everybody to call. And by the time I made it home, I was in tears. I thought, we wanted this so bad, but we did not want twins. How am I going to do this? Can we even love and give enough attention to two? I mean, I was a total... Total wreck. And I drove to camp meeting that night through my tears. Somehow I made it there. And God, again, is so personal and so amazing that any meeting I would go to or any speaker I would hear, it seemed like God, again, was just giving us reassurance that he was there, that he was with us, that he had not left us, that he would not forsaken us. I had taken a little devotional book with me, Streams in the Desert, I don't know if you've read that book before, but I had a friend give it to me. She's read it every year for the last 37 years, and she said, I want you to have this book. And I had taken it with me, and in the mornings, I was already feeling terrible. I had horrible headaches, and so all I could do for my worship was pretty much read the one little paragraph. But God kept speaking to me through that little devotional day after day. And I think I shared this before, but camp meeting was really tough because I had horrible headaches. I felt awful every single day. It didn't matter what I did or what I tried. I couldn't shake it. And it was so bad that basically the whole afternoon I would just have to sleep. I, if I if I didn't lay down, I would just be in excruciating pain. And I was in such bad shape that when the anointing came around on Friday night, I left the meeting early so I could be like one of the first people. And I think I was the third person in line, but I waited there patiently. And when they called my name, I went to the small group of people that were praying and I said, I need your prayers. I said, for one, I'm having these horrible headaches. I, I just, the whole camp meeting has been miserable because I'm in horrible pain. I said, but we're also having twins. 
And it seemed embarrassing even to say that. In my heart, I was like hoping that it wasn't true, but it just seemed awkward. It was like, it would be happy to say we're having a baby, but to say we were having twins? And of course, the people that were praying for us were so excited. They were friends of my in-laws, and they were so excited to pray for us and claim God's promises. And that next morning, and every single day after, I never had another headache. I never did, especially that kind of headache. I might have had a mild headache here or there, but nothing like that. And again, it was another confirmation that God is here. And God is listening. God is hearing our prayers. People started asking me if I had morning sickness. And I started to tell them that I have all day sickness. Because for weeks and months, and many of you guys know, I felt terrible. But I tried to keep it in perspective that this was worth it. And that it would all be over soon, that this was temporary. But I don't know if you've been sick for a long time. You actually start to wonder if you're ever going to feel good again. You start to wonder if you're ever going to be a normal person again. And although I would try to be so positive, sometimes I would be so discouraged because I felt so bad. At 14 weeks, they recommended that we start seeing a high-risk doctor just because we were having identical twins. And there's a whole bunch of risks that can come with that. And that day, they did an hour ultrasound, and they wouldn't tell us much. Anytime we'd ask a question, they kept saying, well, you're going to have to wait to hear that from the doctor. So my anxiety was rising little by little, and when the doctor came in, she said, well, from what we can see, it's very early on, you know, things look okay with their growth, and she started using a lot of terminology that I didn't know, and so I was like, okay, so I'd ask more questions, and she said, it just looks like your placenta is kind of strange. It's, we don't see this a whole lot, but it looks like maybe it's in two pieces. I said, okay, what does that mean? Well, we'll just have to keep an eye on it. I thought, okay. And she said, and it kind of looks like the cords are inserted into the very edge of the placenta, which isn't optimal, but it might be okay. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it's just better if it's inserted into a place where it can have a lot of nutrition and a lot of blood supply. Yours are both inserted on the very edges of these pieces. Okay, what does that mean? And again, there were no answers. It was so early on. And so, again, we reached out to so many of you and to so many of our friends and family saying, please pray. It looks like I have this weird situation. Cords are going into each part of this. One placenta was big, one was small, and it could potentially not be good. One of them could not get as much nutrition. They maybe both won't get as much nutrition. That next morning, I was laying in bed, and of course, I was still thinking about all of this. I was thinking about the doctor's visit. I was thinking about the news we had received. And I opened up my Bible, and the verse of the day was Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And in those moments, those verses are not accidents. You can go looking for those verses and find them, but when you literally are laying on your bed thinking about all of these things, you just happen to open it up, and that's the verse of the day. I think that's from God. Because God is such a personal God. He knows what you're going through. He cares what you're going through. And so to send a verse like this, it's okay. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait on the Lord. actually continued to read through the rest of that chapter, and there were so many powerful verses there. It was so good. I thought I should read Psalm 28 also. And then I read this verse, Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplication. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, 
and I am helped. Therefore my heart exults, and with my song I shall thank him. The Lord is their strength, and he is a saving defense to his anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. I started praying this for our babies. Lord, save your people, bless them. You know, you don't think you want to, but it doesn't take very long that you get very attached to two. And so I started praying these promises. God, bless them. And then this part struck me. It said, be their strength also and carry them forever. And I felt like it was the perfect thing to pray. I mean, it was even in the plural, be their strength, carry them forever. And I felt like God was giving me that verse to pray, just that God would continue to take care of these little girls. But the fear seemed to come in waves. I would be really encouraged. I would read verses like this. God's got it. Everything's going to be good. And then I would read something else on the internet, or I would talk to somebody else, or someone would tell me something, and my anxiety would just rise again. And one morning, I received a text. I'm on a group message with a lot of different people that a lady in Modesto set up, and she sends some Bible verse every week. And it usually came on Thursdays, but this particular Tuesday, my phone lit up and I picked it up. It was from Carol Lee. I thought, oh, I thought she usually sends these on Thursday. But the verse that she sent out to the group that morning was Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. It said, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And I thought, oh, that's a really good verse. That's great. But God knew I needed that verse because we were actually going back to the doctor that very day. And when we would get there, they would confirm. They could see more now. Yes, your placenta is a weird situation. It's in multiple pieces. Yes, the cords are going in on the edge. It's not optimal. But it looks like you might have a kind of serious problem with your vessels. I said, what does that mean? Well, I don't like it, is what the doctor said. Those are not encouraging words to hear. I don't like it. I said, what does that mean? She said, well, we can't see enough right now, so we'll check it on the next time. But you have some vessels in a very dangerous place, potentially. Again, we can't see it. I don't know. But if that is how it is, I just don't like it. So we left. And unfortunately, I probably looked up too many things on the Internet. To the point where I was absolutely terrified. Because I realized that the complications, if this really was the case, were very serious. That if those vessels were to ruptures, the babies could die, I could die. I was completely terrified. And this is when prayers for us went to a new level because we started reaching out to anyone that we could to pray for us. My mother-in-law was recruiting people all around the world wherever they would travel to pray for us. And literally people would text us every single day sometimes, every single week, that they were praying for us and for our situation. And that next day, I was still terrified, completely terrified. What if the babies died? What if I died? I was praying with a friend on the phone, and Colossians 1 came to mind. And I believe that God does this. The more we put his word in our hearts, the more he's able to pull it out when we need it. But... This verse in Colossians 1 came to mind. In him, all things hold together. I thought that's perfect. That's what I have to start claiming. And I started praying that, Lord, keep everything intact. Hold everything together. Hold the vessels intact. Hold the babies intact. Hold me intact. Because I was terrified. I wouldn't even hardly get up off the couch. Because I was so afraid that I might dilate, that these vessels would burst. 
And so I began to claim that promise over and over and over. And when I would be especially afraid, I would just claim, Lord, in you all things hold together. Hold everything together. I was laying on the couch, like I said, because I was terrified to be up on my feet too much. And again, I pulled out my Bible because sometimes the only comfort you can find is through God's Word. And so I pulled it out. And again, not by accident, the verse of the day was Colossians 3, verse 2. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. And it was just confirmation to me that even though it felt like my world was just spinning around me, just keep focusing on God. Keep focusing on His goodness. And so I'd open up my phone and I'd review all these promises because I'd kept them in a journal there. And I kept reminding myself of all the things that God had done. But I went ahead and read the reading for that day, and Isaiah 29 really caught my attention. I was listening in a version that I don't usually listen to, and it was just a very common language version, and so I was enjoying it as I listened. But this verse really made my ears perk up. It said, My people will no longer be ashamed or turn pale with fear. I thought, that's me. For when they see their many children and all the blessings I have given them, they will recognize the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob, and they will stand in awe of the God of Israel. I don't think that's an accident. Here I am, pale with fear, and God gives me this promise that when they see their children, when they see all the blessings that I've given them, they'll stand in awe of the God of Israel. And so again, I just clung to that promise, I held on to it, and it was hard to explain because I would have these moments where God would speak to my heart, and my faith and hope and courage would be increased, and then all it took was one more thing of bad news, or one more uncertainty, or one more person, or one more something on the internet, and again, I would be back in the same place. And the next few months were the same way, so many ups and downs. We went to the doctor the next time, and they said, guess what? You don't have the vessel problem. They're not even there. Sigh of relief. And we were able to breathe. We had like a week or two between appointments. God had answered our prayers. We texted everyone. Thank you for all of your prayers. Until the next appointment. The next appointment, even though our girls had been in a relatively good range, the 30th and the 60th percentile for their growth, the next appointment showed that little baby A had gone from the 33rd percentile to the 6th. And they had told us that this might happen, you know, later on. She has this little chunk of of placenta. She doesn't have a lot to draw from. But it wasn't supposed to happen that early. And definitely not that drastic. And so again, all the questions, will she be okay? Will she survive? Will everything be all right? That morning, again, God was preparing me for it. Because before we ever even went to the doctor, in my worship that morning, I had read the promise, So be truly glad. 1 Peter 1.6, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have many trials for a little time. I believe that God will do this. I don't know what you're facing this morning. It may have nothing to do with what I'm sharing about. But the more we spend time with God, He has a way of speaking to us just what we need. He has a way of giving us a heads up. He knew what we'd encountered that day. He knew that I would be totally terrified all over again now because now our baby wasn't growing and it seemed like she was shrinking and would she be okay? Be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure many trials for a little time. When God shows you these things, I can't encourage you to write them down enough 
because this is what would be my solace when everything else was falling down. I would open up my phone, I would review these promises every time on the way to the doctor. Zach and I would just pray these verses over and over again. The next few months would include baby A increasing in her growth and decreasing, increasing and decreasing. I was doing everything possible. Leo was giving me chocolate vegan protein powder to pour down. I was trying to eat everything I could to help. I was trying to do everything right. Some days were very encouraging. Some days it seemed like we were making no progress or falling behind at all. And it was during that time that I started claiming promises like Psalm 111 verse 5 that God would provide food for our little baby that seemed like she wasn't getting anything. He provides food for those who fear him. Or Psalm 115 that said, God will bless us. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. So that's what we need. We have one big baby, one little one, the small, the great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. These promises meant so much. You know, you can read through the Bible, you can read through it, maybe it doesn't mean anything one day, but when you're going through something and God gives it to you on that day, it means so much more. And it was during this time that you guys were exceptionally gracious, checking on us, bringing us food, praying for us, sending flowers, sending carry cards. It was the biggest trial of our life. But January 17th could not have been any more joyous when both of our babies were born healthy. And both of them were born okay. And even though the previous visit they had checked the size of Abby's head and said that it was in the negative one percentile and I was afraid that she was going to come out with a microscopic head. <laughs> that everything was okay. They came out, they were healthy, their scores were fine. They were perfect. And this is not the end of their story, as you know. Zach shared what happened on day four when we almost lost Libby when she stopped breathing. But as I reviewed the story this week, one thing kept coming up over and over, that God is a trustworthy God. The two songs that meant the most to me throughout this whole journey was, one was a hymn, Only Trust Him. I didn't even know that song, but in the midst of this journey, someone asked me to sing with them at camp meeting, and I asked what the songs were, and this was one of the songs I'd never heard it before, so I had to sing it about ten times to get it down. And in moments that I needed it most, God would bring that chorus back to mind. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust Him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. Another song was Lauren Daigle's song, Trust in You. I don't know if you've heard that song, but we were at the women's retreat a couple of years ago, and they chose that as a theme song. And again, it was right in this six-year process, somewhere in the middle there. And God used that song over and over and over to encourage my heart. But as we close this morning with the message, as we dedicate our girls, I just want to encourage you that we can trust God. We can trust Him. Only trust Him now. And I don't know what the future will hold. We have no promises, of course. But with what God has done in our lives so far, He has shown us that we can trust Him. That He is a God of love. And that He is a God that can inspire hope when everything else seems hopeless.